So we will continue on from where we left off last week. I was thinking maybe we could finish this chapter, but maybe not. (laughs) It'd be nice if we could, but it's not necessary. Okay, so let's start out with our recitations and setting our motivation. So, although we're uh, quite interested in the Dharma, we easily can get distracted from it. There's something that appears really urgent or really fantastically interesting that we have to run and chase or something that is horrible, verging on World War Ten, and we have to do something, you know, I think we can all see how our mind takes very small things and whew, really blows them up. And yet that same mind has the potential to be a Buddha, to see things as they are, both ultimately that they lack inherent existence and conventionally that they exist merely by dependently designated. So it's interesting, isn't it, how our mind can go from one extreme to the other, the possibility for many different things. And you know, how well are we able to control this mind when it starts wrapping itself around some tiny thing that we blow up? It's easy to to see that we're exaggerating, that we're painting a story, that in fact we're making ourselves miserable. So one benefit of keeping in our mind the fact that we have the Buddha potential 
is that when our mind starts going bonkers, you know, wanting to run after who knows what, we can stop and say, what is more important? Uh, Taking steps, however small, however big, towards full awakening, where I can be of great benefit to sentient beings. What is more important, that, or getting all obsessed about this small thing and going round and around and around about it? And if we can catch our mind early enough and just, it becomes very clear, you know, how much we are wasting our time and our lives. And then just to bring the mind back to the Dharma, remembering the benefits, remembering what um, what we have chosen as the meaning of our lives, what we have decided is important in our life by using wisdom. And then bring our mind back. So each time we're able to bring our mind back, we're planting seeds of the antidotes to the afflictions in our mind. We're counteracting ignorance, anger, and attachment. And when the masters tell us to really take advantage of every moment in our life, even if it's small, because small actions can lead to big results, then if we can remember this, then it becomes much easier to bring our mind back to uh, where we really want it and to uh, pursue what we ourselves have decided is of the greatest benefit. So as we sit or sit, seated now and listening to teachings, let's try to keep the mind focused on that. And remember that we're working for the benefit of each and every living being. So we may not be able to stop what's going on in the Middle East and all the craziness there, but we can at least keep our minds uh, in touch with all the various sentient beings involved in that mess, you know, and uh, keep our minds in a compassionate state, looking at everything instead of getting involved with, oh, this side's a friend and that side's an enemy. Why are these people doing that? Why are these people doing that? You know, which uh, doesn't really lead us anywhere. 
Okay. So last week we finished the the nine uh, similes for Buddha nature. This week we're uh, doing the three aspects of the Tathagatagarbha, or the Buddha essence, or there's many different translations for Tathagatagarbha. I don't know which syllable gets in it. Tathagata, Tathagata Garba. Okay. So when I pause, just put that word in there. (laughs) (laughs) So Maitreya asserts that each sentient being has the Buddha essence and can attain Buddhahood. So I read this verse briefly uh, last time. Because a perfect Buddha's body is pervasive, because suchness is without differentiation, and because a Buddha lineage exists, all embodied beings are always in possession of a Buddha essence. So last time we made that into a syllogism that had three reasons. And so, you know, if you meditate on it, you uh, meditate on each uh, each reason as something that validates the thesis. And uh, when you've understood all three reasons, then there's a good understanding of uh, why everybody has the Buddha nature. Okay, And that really stops the mind that says, oh, there's inherent evil in the world. No, there's no inherent evil. There's no evil being in the world. Everybody has the Buddha nature. Yeah. There are detrimental actions. There are harmful actions. But there's no evil person. Okay. If there were an evil person, inherently existent evil, then everything that person did would be evil. But we can't find anybody who is like that. Yeah. So we may look at certain political figures and because of how they act, you know, say their actions are uh, evil, you know, their, their actions are horrendous. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the human beings are evil. Okay. So we have to remember this. Otherwise, if we forget it, then we uh, just are thinking like regular, ordinary people. Friend, enemy, stranger, harm the enemy, help the friend. Yeah, and we can already see where that has gotten the world, that viewpoint, harm the enemy, help my friend. Okay, so His Holiness writes here, So he, meaning Maitreya, gives three reasons for stating that all sentient beings have the Buddha essence and can attain full awakening. One, the Buddha's bodies are pervasive, so sentient beings can engage with the awakening activities of the Buddhas. So Buddhas have different awakening activities, but through which they communicate with different sentient beings. You know, they can manifest in different 
figures. They teach the Dharma in different ways according to people's dispositions and so on. And uh, so those are considered the Buddha's uh, enlightened activities. I think there's a list of, what was it, 27 of them? Maybe look in volume four. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, because the Buddha has that quality, we can engage with it. Yeah. Then second, the suchness or the natural purity of the Buddha's minds and of sentient beings' minds cannot be differentiated because both are empty, the emptiness of inherent existence. Okay. So from the viewpoint of a mind that is directly realizing the emptiness of inherent existence. There's no differentiation between the emptiness of a Buddha's mind and the emptiness of, you know, a Hamas person's mind, okay? They're both emptiness, yeah? Okay. Yeah, that's from the viewpoint of the realist, the mind that's realizing emptiness. From the view, the conventional viewpoint, a conventional mind that's looking, one is the emptiness of the Buddha's mind, one is the emptiness of a sentient being's mind. So they're different in that way. Not because the emptiness is so different, but because the mind that it is the ultimate nature of, those two minds are different. Okay, then the third reason, sentient beings possess the transforming Buddha nature that can develop all of the Buddha's excellent qualities and transform into the three Buddha bodies. Yeah, so there's that potential, you know, the transforming Buddha nature. Anything in our mind, the continuation or continuum of which can continue to full awakening. Okay, the continuum of a mind of anger cannot go into full awakening. Yeah, the continuum of a mind of love, even if our love is like this, you know, like this big and it doesn't last very long and it gets polluted real easily, still that mind can... uh can be worked on, can be cultivated, and can become uh, one of the qualities of a Buddha's mind. Okay. So these reasons, confirmed by the nine similes, uh, similes indicate the following three aspects of the Tathagata Garbha. Okay, so here's the three aspects. The first one... Yeah, is that Tathagatagarbha has the nature of the Dharmakaya of self-arisen pristine wisdom. Often when we hear the word self-arisen, yeah, it sounds like, oh, if something's self-arisen, then it should be inherently existent. Yeah. So self-arisen doesn't mean inherent existence when it, it's talking in this way. It doesn't, it, you know, there's one um, way of negating inherent existence where we negate 
production from self or arising from self. Yeah. So then we say, oh, in the Buddhist Dharma Kaya, self arisen. I thought we negated that. Uh, we did. But it's the self arisen, the term means two different things in different contexts. Okay. Let's see if this tells us what self arisen means. Yeah. It's interesting because it, you, you know, when you read the scriptures, there's different words that have different meanings in different contexts. And, uh, the root texts don't always tell you. So that's why we need to rely on the commentaries and so on. Okay. So here under that point, it says that Tathagatakarbha, possessing the nature of the Dharmakaya, refers to the clear light nature of the Tathagatakarbha being called the Dharmakaya. Okay. So we're calling the clear light nature of the Buddha potential the Dharmakaya. Okay. In, in, is the Tathagatagarbha of an ant, uh, the Dharmakaya? Yeah. No, the ant is not a Buddha. They're mine. Yeah. Is not the Dharmakaya. So it explains this is another case of giving the name of the result, in this case, Dharmakaya, to the cause, to Tathagatagarbha. Okay. And this thing comes so often in the scriptures, yeah, that you give the name of a result to the cause. Okay. The example that we can relate to is when you're working in the garden, yeah, and there's some seeds and you dig a hole and put the seeds in, you say, I'm planting flowers. Are you planting flowers? Do you see flowers at that moment? No, you're not planting flowers. The flowers are not existent at that moment. Okay. But the flowers are the result of the seeds you're planting. So you're actually planting the seeds. So you're giving the seeds, which are the cause of the flowers, the name of flowers on planting flowers. Okay. So that's what's happening here. Okay. So the Tathagata Garbha is the cause, and the uh, Dharmakaya here, it's going to be referring to, you know, is the result. So it's talking about that. Okay. Although the emptiness of the mind is permanent and is not an actual cause, yeah, we know that. It is called a cause. Well, wait a minute. We just went through how many arguments saying that emptiness is permanent and space is permanent and that permanent things cannot be causes, and now you're saying that they're causes. You know, you're contradicting yourself. Okay. I just get used to it. It happens a lot. And it's not contradiction. Okay, there's a reason. Yeah. Okay. So although the mind being permanent is not an actual cause, it is called a cause because it is the foundation on which the Dharmakaya is attained. And the first three similes uh, describe this. Okay. So because 
you know, the 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 TTG. <laughs> yeah, that's how I abbreviate it when I'm writing TTG. Yeah, because it is. Um, yeah, and I have this autocorrect thing, so it comes out to garba, whatever it is. Okay, so um, you know, because the emptiness of the mind is the foundation on which we can cultivate the qualities of a Buddha. It's called a cause, even though it's uh, it's it's a permanent phenomena. Okay because it's the foundation. If the mind were not empty, then there would be no foundation upon which we could cultivate the Buddhist qualities. Okay, So if the mind were not empty, that would mean it would be inherently existent. Okay, Something that exists under its own power, from its own side, does not depend on any other factors. If, there, if something does not depend on any other factors, it cannot change. Because to change, you need something that is not part of that thing to influence it to change. Yeah? Or you need just the fact that time is happening and the first moment goes out of existence and now you have the second moment, okay? So in order for change to occur, things have to be impermanent, which means they cannot exist inherently, okay? So just remember, if it inherently exists, inherently exists, it must be permanent, okay? And you say, well, space is permanent. Uncompounded space is permanent. Is it inherently existent? No. Okay. Because the way the profession goes is if it is inherently existent, it must be permanent. It does not go if it is permanent, it must be inherently existent. Okay. So we have to but the the pervasion, you know, in the in the correct way. Okay, so the Tathagatakarbha is pervaded by the awakening activities of the Dharmakaya. This means the sentient beings have the potential to be engaged with and influenced by the Buddha's awakening activities that will guide them to awakening. Okay, so then we go well. Yeah, where are the awakening activities? You know, Buddhists are supposed to appear and do their awakening activities, and I'm sitting here. I am open to receiving them. Yeah, where's the Buddha? Yeah, where are these awakening activities? You know, I've been sitting here for, you know, how long? Oh, oh, almost a half an hour. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Buddha's awakening activities do not announce themselves. People always ask this question. You know, if Buddhas manifest in the world, how come they don't show all their um, magical and mystical powers 
because if they showed them, then we would really believe that they were Buddhas. But they just appear as ordinary beings, just like us, so we don't perceive them as Buddhas. We don't take what they're doing as enlightened activity, you know. So the Buddha should really do it differently and, and do some kind of, you know, show so that we know he's an extraordinary being. Yeah, I hear so many people say this when they learn about the Dharma, okay? So I say, okay, you're in the middle of Times Square and a Buddha appears, yeah, radiating light, manifesting things right, left, and center, yeah, making himself big and small and vanishing and saying all sorts of things that really ring bells with different people. And how are people going to respond? Yeah. Oh, look, there's somebody special in the middle of Times Square. Yeah. And he's better than Trump. And he's not going to kill anybody in the middle of Times Square and, 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 you know, lose votes because of it. He must be a Buddha. Quick, call CNN because CNN wants to, interview him, yeah, and, you know, call Fox, you know, if you have a Fox guy come out and interview the Buddha, then all the people who listen to Fox News will be outfoxed, <laughs> yeah, and they'll become Buddhists, and, and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that, that's going to be great, yeah. And so what's going to happen in Times Square? Yeah, you think there was a riot on January 6th at the Capitol? Everybody would riot in Times Square. I've got to touch him, you know. Can he touch my head and bless me? Yeah. Can I have a few bits of old dead skin from his hand as a relic to show that I've seen the Buddha? Yeah, Fox News can interview me too. <laughs> and all us, you know, say that, yeah, he's a real Buddha. Yeah. Okay, that's why the Buddha doesn't appear like that, you know, because we can't handle it. Yeah, people would just go bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, New Year's, you see what happens, all the graffiti, no, graffiti, no, that's not graffiti. <laughs> what? Confetti. Yeah. So imagine all the confetti that would fall if the Buddha appeared in Times Square. Yeah. And then when the ball went down and went boom, then everybody would go, here's a Buddha! Yeah, take out your camera. Yeah, you don't look amused. <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> okay. So that's why we don't see them. Yeah, we don't. We have a hard time differentiating what their enlightened activities are and what they aren't. But sometimes things happen in your life, and when you look back, it's like, that was 
that was a time of, remember I was telling you about the inmate, seemingly insignificant decisions. Yeah, SIDS, seemingly insignificant decisions. So that was the time something happened where I thought out of the box. Yeah. So it could have been ordinary, but that might have been, you know, the Buddha's uh, enlightening activity. You know, when I gave the example yesterday about, you know, your teacher invites all the students out to a restaurant and then the food comes and it's burnt and your teacher gets really, you know, talks in a loud voice. Why are you burning this food? You know, take it back. Don't you know how to cook food properly? You know, and your mind is, you know, just ready to lose all of your faith because, you know, gee, is my spiritual mentor acting worse than I act? And then, you know, and then something clicks and you go, Oh, this is showing me how I act. This is showing me how quickly I judge people and want to put them in boxes. Yeah? So maybe, yeah, maybe that's one of these kind of special moments. Yeah, We don't know, but it's like something clicks that hasn't clicked before. Okay, so within this first aspect of the Buddha essence, the Dharmakaya, there are two parts, okay? So the Dharmakaya of realizations and the Dharmakaya of the teachings. So the Dharmakaya of realizations is the undefiled, empty nature of a Buddha's mind that is realized by that Buddha's wisdom Dharmakaya. Okay, so the Buddha's wisdom dharmakaya, that means the Buddha's mind, is it permanent or impermanent? Impermanent. That is the object of the Buddha's mind realizing the ultimate nature. Okay, so that's called the dharmakaya of realizations. So the emptiness is the actual dharmakaya, and refers specifically to the dharmadhatu that is totally free from defilements and has the nature of clear light. Okay, so the emptiness of Buddha's mind, completely free of defilements, because that mind itself is completely free from defilement. It is what is experienced and perceived by the wisdom dharmakaya of a Buddha. So that is a special object. Yeah. Then the second part of the dhar- of uh, the dharmakaya, okay, because remember it said within the first aspect of the Buddha essence, the dharmakaya, there are two parts. So we just did the Dharmakaya of realizations. Now the Dharmakaya of the teachings leads to the realization of this empty nature. These teachings consist of the profound teachings of the definitive sutras that explain the ultimate truth 
and the interpretable or provisional teachings of the provisional sutras that explain various veiled truths or conventional truths, such as the person, the aggregates, grounds, and paths that are taught in accordance with the dispositions and interests of the various disciples. So the second aspect, the Dharmakaya of the teachings, is the are all the Buddha's teachings yeah, that the Buddha gives us that we need to um, learn, yeah, the wisdom of learning, the wisdom of contemplating, the wisdom of meditation. So those three you'll hear again and again. So we need to do those three actions with those teachings. The Dharmakaya of the teachings is called the Dharmakaya although it is not the actual dharmakaya. Why not? Why is the dharmakaya of the teachings not the actual dharmakaya? They just said, they said the actual dharmakaya was the emptiness of the mind. Right. Are the teachings the emptiness They're of the mind? No, are they permanent or impermanent? They're impermanent. Impermanent. Okay. So the Dharmakaya of the teachings is called the Dharmakaya, although it is not the actual Dharmakaya. Okay? So another instance of calling something by what it isn't to illustrate the link between these. Yeah, and in this case, the Dharmakaya of the teachings is going to be a cause for the actual Dharmakaya. Okay? So the actual Dharmakaya is experienced by a Buddha. The teachings are the conditions to attain this Dharmakaya. Okay? Just as the Buddha image hidden in the closed lotus in the first simile cannot be seen, the wisdom dharmakaya, the ultimate supreme meditative equipoise on emptiness, is not perceivable in the world. Okay, the honey, second simile, resembles the profound teachings on the ultimate truth. Just as all honey shares the same taste of sweetness, all phenomena have the same taste of being empty of inherent existence. Okay, so this is using the word taste in quite a different way. Yeah, it's meaning experienced here. Yeah, all, uh, yeah, yeah, or you could say nature too. All phenomena have the same uh, nature of being empty of inherent existence. And when they're perceived by a mind realizing emptiness, there's no difference between all those different emptinesses. Okay, the grains, the third simile, corresponds to the vast teachings on the method side of the path. Just as the grain needs to be removed from its husk and cooked to become edible food, the vast teachings are provisional and require interpretation. So what's an example of the vast teachings? And what's an example of the profound teachings? The teachings on how to cultivate love. Any of those developing the 
Yeah, developing our bodhicitta, all of those that go in that direction. And so which are they? They're the they're not the profound, they're the um and vast. Vast, okay. Yeah. So when we when we talk about method and wisdom, okay, and the collections of merit and wisdom, you know, there's analogies going on here. And the teachings of the vast and the teachings of the profound. When you visualize the um, merit field, you're going to be doing the uh, refuge nundro. Okay, who's the main figure for the vast lineage? Who's the main figure for the profound lineage? Maitreya's for which one? The vast. And for the profound? Yeah, Manjushri and Nagarjuna. Yeah. And so you could say my, um, my, uh, my tree. My, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my, yeah. She's trying to live up to her name. Our cat is, one cat is named Maitri. So Maitreya and Asanga, you know, kind of go together. Manjushri and, and Nagarjuna go together. Okay. Um. Okay, so the definitive and interpretable teachings and the profound and vast teachings are given to disciples of all three dispositions, the shravakas, solitary realizers, and bodhisattvas, as well as to sentient beings who are temporarily of uncertain disposition. Remember when they talked about the Buddha nature? Yeah, there were the three, the, the Shravaka, solitary realizer, Bodhisattva, people of uncertain, and then in one text, people who have no Buddha nature. But we don't believe that part of it. Okay. Okay, um, so this latter group, uh, the sentient beings who are temporarily of uncertain disposition, uh, consists of individuals who will later become disciples with one of the three dispositions, depending on the teachers they meet and the teachings they receive. By hearing, reflecting, and meditating, those three coming again, on hearing, by hearing, thinking, and meditating on both the vast and profound teachings, sentient beings will attain the actual wisdom dharmakaya. Hmm? The chief way in which the Buddha's awakening activities engage with and influence sentient beings is by means of the Buddha's speech, the teachings they give. The ability of the Buddha's awakening activities to influence sentient beings is always present. And in this sense, sentient beings are pervaded by the awakening activities of the Dharmakaya. Okay, so in the sense that the Buddha's teachings are always present, yeah, the radio station is always broadcasting, yeah, then we say, that uh, sentient beings are pervaded by the awakening activities of the Buddhas. It's like, well, the radio's 
you know, there, there's the radio waves are all around him. They're just, radios aren't turned on. That's the problem. Yeah, that's an old example, you know. What are we going to use now, you know? Who's used radios, you know? Your phone? Yeah, your Wi-Fi's old. Yeah, isn't it? Is, isn't Wi-Fi? Is Wi-Fi old? Huh? Either one. Oh, it will be soon. <laughs> yeah, almost everything gets out of date, isn't it? Okay, then the second uh, quality of the the TTG is it has the nature of emptiness or suchness. So here, suchness is a uh, a synonym for emptiness. Yeah, not all traditions use uh, say that suchness is the, is a synonym for emptiness. Some of them define suchness differently. Okay, I learned this when I went to. Uh, Taiwan, I was working on the Library of Wisdom and Compassion, and I was interviewing, you know, some monks and some scholars. And then one of the scholars I was interviewing, he kept on talking about suchness, you know, the translator was translating suchness. But the way he was using it, it didn't mean emptiness, you know. And, and so both the, you know, both the translator and I had studied mostly Galupa teachings and we couldn't figure out what in the world, you know, this guy was talking about. And, you know, it's a very good example. This happens all the time. You know, the same word used by different traditions has different meaning. So that is a warning to us to, not get arrogant and think that we understand um, a teaching when maybe we don't. Yeah, that we're actually misunderstanding how a, a word is used. Okay, so the Tathagatakarbha, the emptiness of sentient beings' minds, cannot be differentiated from the aspect of the natural purity of the Dharmakaya. Okay, so natural purity is the fact that the uh, the mind is naturally empty of inherent existence. Okay, so it makes sense. The Dharmakaya, the emptiness of sentient beings' minds, cannot be differentiated from that natural purity, the emptiness um, of the Dharmakaya. Okay. The goal buried in filth, simile number four, illustrates the emptiness of the mind. Just as pure gold does not change into a base metal, the emptiness of the mind does not change into something else, even though the sentient being may go from being a, a sentient being to being a bodhisattva and then being a Buddha. Okay. So like pure gold, the Tathagatagarbha is pure and faultless. The ultimate nature of sentient beings' minds 
and the ultimate nature or natural purity of the Tathagata's minds cannot be differentiated in that both are emptiness. So this is talking from the viewpoint of the mind that is directly realizing emptiness. They appear the same and cannot be distinguished to the face of the meditative equipoise directly perceiving emptiness. In this sense, it is said that the suchness of the Tathagata is the essence of sentient beings. Okay? Because when you see the emptiness of both sentient beings and the, the Buddhas, you're seeing the same thing. Okay? With a mind in meditative equipoise directly realizing emptiness. With a conventional mind, are they the same thing? No, they're different. Yeah. Okay, then the third, this, the third aspect of the Tathagata has the nature of the Buddha lineage or disposition. So, so lineage, disposition, essence, there's potential nature. There's many different ways that, that the Buddha nature the different terms can be translated. So this disposition culminates as the three bodies of a Buddha, thus accomplishing Buddhahood. So Geshe-la talked about the three bodies of the Buddha. What are they? He did it today. Dharmakaya, Sambhokakaya, Nirmayakaya. Okay. Yeah, what does the Sambhokakaya do? Yeah, the Buddha, the aspect of the Buddha, the Buddha form of the Buddha that appears in the Pure Lands and teaches the Arya Bodhisattvas so that they can attain Buddhahood in that Pure Land. And what does the uh, what do the emanation bodies do? Yeah, they they appear in a way for us ordinary sentient beings. So which was Shakyamuni Buddha? Supreme Nirvanakaya, okay. And at the same time he was also in a pure land. And at the you know, teaching the bodhisattvas, and at the same time the uh, he had the Dharmakaya. Okay, so the third one, the Tathagarbha, has the nature of the Buddha in a lineage or disposition. This disposition culminates as the three bodies of a Buddha, thus accomplishing Buddhahood. Encompassing the remaining five similes, this disposition has two parts. Okay, so just like the first one, there's two parts here. First one, the Buddha disposition that has existed beginninglessly resembles a treasure under the ground. That's simile five. Okay, just as no one put the treasure there and its beginning uh, is unknown, the naturally abiding Buddha nature has existed beginninglessly. So what's the naturally abiding Buddha nature? The emptiness of 
the mind, any mind, is referring specifically to the sentient beings' minds. You, the Buddha's mind too, you know. But here it's it's referring to sentient beings. Okay. Then the second aspect, the transforming, um, the transforming Buddha uh, disposition that has the potential. Uh, represents a sprout, simile number six, because just as a tiny sprout, upon meeting the conditions that nourish it, will gradually grow into a tree, the transforming Buddha disposition has the potential to accomplish Buddhahood and the three Buddha bodies when it encounters the right dis conditions, such as learning, reflecting, and meditating on the Dharma. Okay. So, you know, this whole thing about something small can bring a big result. We say it, but sometimes it we're not so sure we actually believe it. You know, our our big tree that that got cut down and you know, the trunk is well it's out there, it's like, you know, this why? Can you you know do you really think that came from a teeny, tiny seed? 92 years ago. 92 years ago? You count it? Yeah. Do you really think that it came from something that was that big? That enormous tree? Yeah. So it's hard. We usually, well, it must have been a big cause. Yeah, like what? Like a seed that was as big as this room? <laughs> you know, come on. We know that that isn't the cause. Huh? So likewise, small actions can bring, bring big results. Yeah, both on the side of virtue. Small virtuous actions can bring big, res uh, big good result. And small... Non-virtuous actions can bring a big harmful result or unpleasant result. Okay. The Buddha statue covered by tattered rags, simile number seven, represents the beginningless, naturally abiding Buddha disposition. Just as a beautiful, precious statue shines forth when the impediment of the tattered rags is removed, the beginningless purity of the mind, its emptiness of true existence, is revealed when all adventitious defilements have been forever banished owing to the collection of wisdom. So what are adventitious defilements? Yeah. Did you did you know the word adventitious before you started studying this text? Did anybody? I didn't. I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, adventitious defilements are those that are not the nature of the mind. So whenever we talk about natural purity, just the very nature of the mind is empty. Adventitious defilements obscure it. Yeah, adventitious meaning that they are not the nature of the mind and they can be eliminated. Okay, how do we eliminate them? Yeah, 
learning about the emptiness of inherent existence, reflecting on that and meditating on that. Because in that way, we're able to cut the root of samsara, the ignorance grasping to existence. When that root is cut, then all the other afflictions that sprout from it also crumble. So all those afflictions are adventitious. So the beginningless purity of the mind, its emptiness to existence, is revealed when all adventitious defilements have been forever banished owing to the collection of wisdom. At this point, the naturally abiding Buddha disposition is called the nature dharmakaya of a Buddha. So it's still the emptiness of the mind, but it has a new name because it's no longer the emptiness of a sentient being's mind, it's the emptiness of a Buddha's mind. The transforming Buddha disposition uh, blossoms owing to the accumulation of merit. So the accumulation of wisdom is what actually uproots the ignorance, but to develop that wisdom, especially in the Mahayana path, we need a lot of merit. So we need also the collection of merit. Yeah. Uh, okay, when the collection of merit is fully evolved, it becomes the enjoyment and emanation bodies of a Buddha. Just, okay, so just as a future great leader who is now in his mother's womb, this is simile number eight, will come to enjoy majesty, the uh, enjoyment body enjoys the majesty and wealth of the Mahayana Dharma. It's beautiful, isn't it? the majesty and wealth of the Mahayana Dharma. It's not just, you know, some, you know, unimportant thing. Similar to a golden Buddha statue emerging from the dust that surrounds it, simile nine, emanation bodies which represent the actual Dharmakaya appear in whatever forms are most conducive to subduing the minds of sentient beings. So they appear in that form, and they sure hope that we get some benefit. But they can't make us to get the benefit. That has to come from us. In our practice, the Buddha disposition is initially awakened through listening to and reflecting on the Dharma, especially teachings on the value and purpose of bodhicitta and the two methods of generating it. Upon, But that's talking about the method side of the path. Don't we need the wisdom side of the path to realize emptiness? So why is it saying that the Buddha disposition is initially awakened through listening and reflecting on the method side of the path, like bodhicitta. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Because without bodhicitta, with just a realization of emptiness, we could go on the hearer's path and become an arhat. Right. Yeah. So it's really empty, emphasizing the Mahayana path here. Upon generating bodhicitta, we have the strong aspiration 
to attain the three Buddha bodies. That's why you have to remember what they are so that you can aspire to gain them. Yeah, if you sit down and try and cultivate a motivation, okay, I want to achieve the Buddha's three, three, three what? Yeah? So, you got to remember. To accomplish this, we engage in the bodhisattva deeds, the six perfections, and the four ways of maturing disciples, and fulfill the collections of merit and wisdom. So to become a Buddha, we need to fulfill both collections. Cultivating the collection of wisdom leads to gaining the pristine wisdom directly perceiving the ultimate nature of all phenomena. When this wisdom is developed further and used to fully cleanse all obscurations from the mind streams, our naturally pure Buddha nature becomes the nature dharmakaya, the suchness of the mind that has two purities. Okay, so the nature dharmakaya, the emptiness of a Buddha's mind, has two purities, not just one. Okay, the natural purity of inherent existence that it's had since beginningless time, and the purity from the adventitious defilements, which were gained by meditating on emptiness and attaining the the true cessations, which uh, obliterated all those obscurations from the mind. Okay, you with me? The cultivation of the collection of merit done through practicing the method aspect of the path leads to our transforming Buddha nature becoming the two form bodies, the enjoyment body and the uh, emanation body. In this way, the three bodies of a Buddha, or the four bodies of a Buddha, are actualized and our pristine wisdom perceives all existence throughout the universe. Okay? So you got to be able to put, yeah, the uh, all these things you know collection of merit and wisdom method and wisdom okay um leading to the form bodies and the dharmakaya you know all of these if you put them down you can see the connections yeah between practicing this and then getting that but you actually need all of those practices together to gain, gain all of the bodies of the Buddha, because when you attain Buddhahood, you get the whole deal at the same time. Okay, so it isn't you attain Buddhahood and it's like, okay, yeah, like, um, hmm, do I have a omniscient mind first, or am I in an emanation body? You know, kind of. It's not like that. It's the whole. You know, when you accumulate all the causes, then all the Buddha bodies are attained at the same time. Must be something quite amazing. Yeah, when you think about it. A question about that, because I, I, I was I was really struck by this on the chart, it's this, and I got it's the same place to get stuck on that for these last two similes, the afflictive obscurations and the cognitive obscurations 
are the things that obscure the Buddha essences that bring forth these bodies, according to this chart. And I'm trying to, like, what's, you know, I would think the afflictive obscurations and the cognitive obscurations would be obscuring our wisdom mind, but... No, they're ex- so how how make, can they're, you make that link? they're obscuring the wisdom mind, but they're also obscuring the emptiness of that mind. I guess it's like where 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 in the mind is the collection of merit? <laughs> okay, I think it's in the upper left hand corner. Yeah, the the collection of merit acts as the energy that makes the wisdom effective in eliminating the obscurations. Yeah. With the, the, the merit makes the mind strong in that way. Yeah. And if you look, you know, with, with the ten uh, bhumis, yeah, one of the or ten grounds of a bodhisattva what what are you doing as you're progressing through them? You're not realizing a different emptiness. The emptiness you're realizing is the same. Yeah. But the mind has more power to eliminate obscurations when the mind is imbued with merit. When we talk about Buddha's form bodies, mm-hmm. um, are we talking about the actual emanations or are we talking about the ability to do that because mm-hmm. what happens when a buddha becomes enlightened the 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 body that the emanation body that was shakyamuni buddha did it happen right at that moment or just the ability to do that happened at the moment okay. that um well the, there's many many emanation bodies so when the continuum that became Shakyamuni Buddha attained awakening. There was a, a, a there were the enjoyment bodies and the emanation bodies, but they weren't of Shakyamuni Buddha yet because that the time was not yet ripe and uh, ripe for sentient beings for that mental continuum to manifest as that Nirmanakaya. So it manifested as some other. Thing well, to benefit sentient beings. But it seems like that the um, the manifestations come and go. Yes. But yeah. it's some ability it, to do those manifestations. It's actually, the the man the emanation body is actually a person, and the enjoyment body is a person. So. The, the persons, you know, the Buddha manifests as all of these. So all of those persons that the Buddha manifests, they may come and go. Okay. But the Buddha's ability to manifest them is always there. And there's always going to be nirmanakayas and, or, or, um, emanation bodies and enjoyment bodies. Because it's not just regarding Shakyamuni Buddha on our little planet, you know. I mean, the, the Buddha, you know, when he attained enlightenment, he didn't look like Shakyamuni Buddha. He was appearing in these different forms, going to all sorts of uh, different places and different aspects of the universe to benefit sentient beings. 
Yeah. So many nirmanakayas, many enjoyment bodies. Yeah. The many enjoyment bodies? I thought there's just the one to one Buddha that with that pure land. Yeah. They sometimes they talk about, you know, that that when you attain enlightenment there's one enjoyment body. But I can't imagine that that then maybe this is just my bias, you know. Um, my way of thinking is at that moment of t- attaining Buddhahood, they have one enjoyment body because they're establishing, you know, that pure land for the sentient beings there. But as time goes on, yeah, is that one, um, you know, is that one akanista going to be sufficient for? all the different uh, 10th ground bodhisattvas to attain enlightenment in? Or, you know, does does the pure land change? I mean, still, the qualities would definitely be the same. But I wonder if somehow the appearance changes or something about them changes according to the dispositions of the sentient beings who are getting enlightened there at that time. But that's just my own thought. So good to ask somebody else. Um, I have a question about the um, the paragraph that says uh, that generating bodhicitta is uh, one of the first things we do to initiate Buddha nature or... To, it, it's, to, it's something that helps develop the transforming Buddha nature. So my question is, it seems like um, sharp faculty students would want to do that first, but I always understood they were more gravitated toward the wisdom. Yeah. So it's, it's, but, you know, there's sharp faculty and dull faculty, so maybe they're talking more about the dull faculty who, who generate bodhicitta. Yeah, you're really dull. Yeah. We, we have to be very careful of that word dull. It doesn't really, it's not a fair adjective to apply to those bodhisattvas. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I guess I had a, one more question. Uh-huh. Um, if, if the Buddha has all this capacity and capabilities, why would there need to be an, more than one Buddha? It seems like. Oh, yeah, that question it. happens all the time, too. Okay. So the answer is. Yeah, that when these different, the, the mental continuums of all these different Buddhas were, when, uh, these Buddhas were sentient beings, they, uh, as they were wandering through samsara, had created, um, karmic connections with different sentient beings. Now, samsara is beginningless, so they probably had some kind of karmic connections with all sentient beings, but apparently they have more ability to um, to enlighten certain sentient beings that they have a stronger karmic connection with. Okay? So if you don't understand it, ask a Buddha, because this pertains to Buddha things, I'm not... Uh, even pretending to understand them. Okay. 
this is going back to the earlier place in the Dharmakaya of the teachings. Can you say that, can one say that the Dharmakaya of the teachings is equivalent to the wisdom Dharmakaya when we talk about the two nature, truth body and the wisdom truth body? Or I, I would think so. The, that the Dharmakaya of the wisdom, uh, of the teachings, okay, it leads to the realization of this empty nature. Yeah. So the Dharmakaya of the teachings is called the Dharmakaya, although it is not the actual Dharmakaya. It leads to that Dharmakaya. So it's the cause of that Dharmakaya. But that Dharmakaya is permanent. Okay, I'm still stuck. Okay. (laughs) Okay, let's dedicate. Oh, yeah. So starting next week, I'm going to be, next Friday, I will be on my way to Asia, and I'll be there for two months. And so Venerable Sangha Kajo is going to teach Lamrim on Friday evenings. And, yeah, next week it'll still be at 6.30, and then after that it goes to 6. Anyway, she'll announce it. Okay, so don't forget all of this. We didn't finish the chapter. Oh, well. But the next part that we didn't finish, is there's a little outline. And uh, go, th- go through that because it'll summarize what I just went through. Okay? <laughs>